Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode of the Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by WorldwideGolfShops.com. Be sure to go there to check out all the great new gear for the 2021 golf season. They've got all the big name brands, they've got training aids, they've got apparel, they've got accessories, everything you could possibly want in preparation for this year's golf season. So go to WorldwideGolfShops.com. Folks, we got the golf season right around the corner as well, and so if you are looking for a competitive golf tour and you are in the Chicagoland area, we'll look no further than Chicago Golf Tour. It's actually comprised of three separate tours. They got a north side, west side, and south side tour, and a bunch of great area golf courses partake in this tour. So you want to go to shygolftour.com to learn a little bit more. I'm going to be playing on the south side tour, along with a few other friends and names that you probably know. So go out to shygolftour.com today. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com, and you can find me all over social media at Golf Unfiltered. You can send me an email, adam at golfunfiltered.com. Folks, be sure to go out to secondcitygolf.com as well. That is the collective that I uh, am a part of with my friends over at drivingrangeheroes.com, Bill Bush specifically, and of course, McEwen Media. So you know Chris McEwen. He's been on both of our podcasts many times before, and we've got a lot of great merchandise out there. We just we, we, we seem to add stuff every single day. It's just the coolest thing in the world, and I've been uh, very happy with the way a lot of the uh, the GU merchandise has turned out. So be sure to go out to secondcitygolf.com as well. Well, friends, we have a uh, a return guest and a, a big one at that. You know Matt Adams from a number of different places, specifically Fairways of Life. He is the host there. And of course, you know him from the Golf Channel as well. Matt was one of our first big time guests, I would say. Um, many, many moons ago, uh, he and I had the chance to connect Oh man, this has to be at least th- over three years ago because I remember recording that episode and my previous uh, my previous residence, the old GUHQ. So uh, he was very kind enough to um, to not only agree to come on again today to talk about a number of golf topics that are very recent, of course, and we're going to talk about a little bit about the distance debate. We're going to talk about golf media in general. But one of the things I really appreciate the most about Matt is, um, well, a couple things, actually. So, I mean, this is a guy that you can hear on Sirius XM. You see him on TV. You see him doing tournaments every so often. He is he is a pretty big deal in golf media. And he is always, for whatever reason, he's always been willing to lend pieces of advice to me. Uh, we do share uh, at least a brief Chicago connection. He used to live, uh, you know, somewhat in the area. Uh, you know, in uh, in the past, and and we we joke around about that a little bit, and you know, it's just it's just nice to know that there are those in the golf media and media in general that still remember where they came from. And Matt is certainly that that type of person. You know, he's 
He's so down to earth. He's just willing to talk to and, and offer advice when needed, you know, to anybody that asks for it. And he gives extremely good perspective on not only the game itself, but media as well as, you know, small businesses. And, you know, he and I have had the chance to connect over the years, you know, uh, on social media, sent a few emails back and forth. And, uh, you know, he's probably, if he listens to this, he's probably going to, you know, just shake his head and roll his eyes a little bit. But, you know, it's a big deal to me that I'm able to really connect with him uh, from time to time and, and uh, you know, have those types of conversations. Like, he doesn't have to do that for anybody, but he chooses to do so. And I just offer that, you know, not to, not to you know, brag too much about him, but, you know, I think that's just, that's just really cool, you know, that he, that he still maintains that connection with, you know, little guys like me. You know, and so it's uh, just truly appreciated, and I'm I'm sure I'm I'm kind of rambling a little bit about it, but uh, you know, I, I got to admit it's kind of cool when you run into him in uh, in Orlando at the PGA Merchandise Show. I, just, I remember running up to him and just kind of tap him on his shoulder. He didn't recognize me at first, but then when he did, just a warm smile, you know, just a hearty handshake, and he's like, "Hey, man, how's it going? How you doing? Keep it up. You're doing a great job." You know, and so that's uh, Matt. If you are listening to that to this. I, I really, truly appreciate it. So, all right, well, that's, that's enough gushing over my, uh, my time getting to know Matt Adams a little bit. And, you know, he's, he's just got a lot of great insights, of course, because he hosts his daily, uh, his daily shows. And there's just a lot of stuff to talk about in the golf world right now. And we do that a little bit today in our conversation with Matt Adams. Welcome back folks to the show. As I mentioned in the introduction on for the second time, Friend of mine, Matt Adams. You know him from Fairways of Life. You know him from the Golf Channel. Maddie, how are you? I'm doing well, Adam. Thank you for inviting me back on the show. I think you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you. And obviously, you know, I am so excited to speak with you again. Thank you for taking some time out of your very busy schedule. You got some some great stuff happening. And I imagine that uh, with the new studio that you just gave me a, a brief virtual tour of a moment ago, you got to be excited as well. Yeah, I mean... Things are changing so fast in what we do that it's opening up opportunities for people that create content to find their own pathways. I mean, when when I first started on the broadcast side, and, and I'm not a professional broadcaster, that's not where my training is. I, I went to school for business and accounting. And, you know, going from the equipment side to going from the green grass side to somehow slowly I started to write and do the books and do the broadcasting. And when I started, you pretty much had to be with the media company that would distribute what you do. And with the Fairways of Life show, that's how I started. I started with doing it on satellite radio and it was great and I loved it. I loved my audience. And somewhere along the way, I thought to myself, you know what? We're still only reaching 10% of the USA. How do we reach 100%? Mm-hmm. And the way that it happened for me, have you been to Stream Song yet? Have you I have not, no. Okay, well, it's, it's it's a bucket list place. It's brilliant, right? It's about, for me, I'm, I'm on the west side of Orlando, about an hour, hour and 15 minutes away. And I was down there during the summer, and it's it's a walking facility normally, but the summer, because it, it's, it's so hot, they let you use the carts. And I was sitting in the cart waiting for my buddy to show up, and there, there was this old timer, and he was filling ice in the back of the bucket. Stubby, cigar in his mouth. And I, I said to him, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I work here a couple of days a week and they let me play golf. <laughs> and I said, uh, where do you live? And he goes, 
that cigar comes out again. He goes, I'm a 50 minute cigar right away. <laughs> back, into, back to his ice there's ash going in the ice and all the rest and and so i don't even know why i asked him this but i said to him on your 50 minute cigar ride what do you listen to on the radio and he goes i don't he said i don't even have my hero i'm using I'm, I'm on it i can't hold it up for you he says i don't he said everything i want to hear is right here and he holds up his phone yeah he said classic rock jazz news I can pump it right through my car, puts the cigar back in and heads back to what he's doing. And, I, and that for me was my eureka moment. That was my revelation. That was when I said, you know what? If a 75-year-old man gets it, mm-hmm. then it's time to make the move. And I independently syndicated the show. It was all, uh, audio. Mm-hmm. And we ended up, uh, Dom, my producer, did a fantastic job. And he cleared the, the same network that I'm sure that, that you're starting to clear now, Adam. Mm-hmm. Every major audio platform around the world. I mean, if you added it all up, it's 2.5 billion. But what was more important to me was we got instead of 10% of the USA, we got 100% of the USA. And along the way, we got 100% of the rest of the world. And we made a vow then and there that what we do will be available for free because everybody now is trying to monetize and put it behind paywalls and and all the rest. And we said that's not the pathway we want to go. We have our sponsors. We have people we're associated with, which I'm, I'm proud of. And that was the direction that we were committed to go so that our content would be available everywhere and anywhere that people would, uh, you know, honor us by consuming it. And that's how it happened. So when the pandemic hit, I had been toying with the idea of taking the show. It's called Fairways of Life and, and putting it uh, on a multiple platform, meaning on television as well. Mm-hmm. And that's when we decided to go ahead and make the jump. And we built this broadcast studio and it's got different sets. Uh, the main set is the one that you were talking about. You got kind of a mini tour of, cause that's where I do my show every day. Right. But over here, there's a, there's a fireplace set. It, and the crazy thing about when you work in the golf industry, particularly when I was on the green grass side, sometimes I would work for people and they couldn't afford to pay me. So one time I was paid with a fireplace mantle and a couch. That was my compensation, Oh wow! which I was happy to take. I have them both to this day. Hmm. And so that fireplace mantle is a 125-year-old oak fireplace, and that's built into the set. And then we built another part of the set that looks like a, a workshop or a barn. Mm-hmm. And those two other areas of the set are where I do my golf channel hits from. Uh, because I still live in Orlando. I didn't move to Stanford with the company. So if you see me in front of an antique fireplace, that's that set. And if you see me talking about equipment in what looks like a, a, a workshop or a barn, that's the other set that we have in here. So we kind of multifunctioned it. And we can move everything around so that it nice. works. It's just, I, again, the bottom line is, is that the technology exists today that you are not beholden to. You are not, you are not chained to the distribution of major media companies and every one of them will absolutely despise me for, for revealing this reality. But the reality is you can do your own thing. You don't have to ask anybody's permission. You know, that's, that's so important. And, and listeners, uh, you know, Matt has uh, graciously offered a lot of advice to me over the years. And, you know, I like to say it's because we have Chicago ties. That's, that's what it's made sense in my mind, but you know, and, and you certainly know, sir, that I greatly appreciate any advice you provide. Um, but you just touched on a few things there that I thought was interesting. So there's a lot of changes that happen, not only in golf as an industry, but also media. You had to basically recreate 
multiple sets where you are now. Your producer is in Raleigh, a different a different state, yeah. and basically everyone else is at home. And you had this this moment talking to the seventy five year old, seventy three yeah. year old, saying, "Look, I could still reach all these people." So all of that to say, though, what has been the biggest challenge aside from distance? that you've faced in all these changes kind of thrown at us at once? I think the thing that's hard when, when you're, when you're setting out in a path, when you have a dream, when you have something that you want to do, the way that the industry is structured is that the, the people that own the distribution and when you own the distribution, you own the inventory, which is commercial time, et cetera. And, it, and that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. And so these companies are very astute and they're run by very smart people. And as a result, what they offer you is a taste of your dream. And it's a significant portion where they say, look, we're going to, if you're good enough, we're going to give you an opportunity to do what you long to do, which is to, in our case, uh, share stories and a passion about golf Uh, It could be for someone else, maybe cooking or travel or fashion or some other sport, NFL, whatever it is. And these companies look at it and go, "Okay, that person's got the ability to think on their feet. They they have the knowledge. They have the background. They can do this. They're entertaining in how they do it, perhaps. And so we're going to give them the opportunity. What they don't give you is the security of ownership in what you're doing. And That undercurrent of insecurity that runs through the industry is how they keep you on a short leash. And so deciding to break away from that and do it on my own was pretty much the hardest decision I think that I've ever made because because it's inherent with massive, massive risk. But for me, Adam, what I thought was, you know, if I had failed... I could always go back into where my expertise was, which was running golf courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I could always get a job doing that again. And for me, I never felt like I was above uh, cleaning the golf carts, plugging them in the charge overnight, uh, grabbing clubs out of somebody's trunk to make sure that they were ready to go. If, if, if you have an attitude that if one job isn't enough, then get two or three or four or five to make ends meet, then I wasn't worried about the consequences of if I was wrong and I fell flat on my face on the media side. What was interesting, though, is that at the time that I made the move, now we're going back a few years, I know, Mm. but at the time that I made the move, technology, and that's where you're referencing the the 75-year-old man, technology was catching up with a level of understanding. If you look at, say, what Joe Rogan is doing right now with Spotify and how big that is, when he started that, it was just a little offshoot thing, but more and more people uh, caught on to it. And so that's what happened with us. And on the TV side, we've only been doing it in earnest for a few months now, but it's growing so fast. And again, what, what are some of the elements that that keep you on, as I, I mentioned, the short leash. One of them is, can you afford to live? Can you can you afford to pay for 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 all of this? And for us, we're sold out. I mean, we we don't have any more space for for sponsors, which tells you that I don't think it's got necessarily anything to do with me or with Dom. Maybe I hope it does. Maybe it does, but I think it's got a lot more to do with the fact that 
we're utilizing a medium now, which is digital content that people want to consume content on. It absolutely is the future. When we started it, I can remember the smirks. I can remember the chuckles. I can remember the comments that people used to make. In fact, the, the phrase they used to use was, oh, it's digital. And now digital is looked upon as the bridge to the future and traditional broadcasting is looked upon something that needs to at least catch up if it's not slowly dying on the vine. So I think for, for people like you and I, it's incredibly exciting because it gives us an opportunity. It gives us a forum to create what we want to. And if we work hard enough to, to generate an audience that that's enjoying the same, then you pretty much can can make your own path. I would imagine that you and Dom have a little bit to do with the fact that you're sold out of, of uh, sponsors. Um, but you know, I think you're right. I, I think you know it's interesting how the the mentality about um, you know digital has changed, and I think for good and and bad reasons, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of people that don't do this the quote unquote correct way, insofar as there's a lot of gotcha out there. You know, where yeah. it is, you know, there's there's a there's a certainly a, a majority of media that wants to tell the story and share the passion, like you said. Yeah, I mean, in, in fairness to them, though, people I like the fact that the, the world is so vast now because it's digital that people can consume what they want to consume, where and how they consume it. So whether you're talking about, you know, the guys from Fried Egg or No Laying Up or. Uh, you know, some of that's more established stuff in terms of in terms of time uh, with Jeff Shackelford, et cetera. No mm-hmm. matter what type of perspective that you're looking for in, in our parochial tiny little world of golf. Right. No matter what you're looking for, you can find uh, it. Maybe if it's, you know, equipment content or travel content, you know, Maddie G's doing some some great stuff. Matt Janella uh, right now. So there's there's a lot of different ways that I look upon it as a menu. And mm-hmm. so I don't really think that there's a right way or a wrong way uh, to do it. I don't really think there's a right way or a wrong way to consume it. It's just a question of what you want at that time and place and what appeals to you. And I can't think of anything that is more representative of a free market than the fact that we're saying all of you go out and do your thing. You, you've all got the same opportunity. You've all got the same platform and format. Uh, be who you are. Do you. Yeah, I think that's an important message that you just mentioned. And, you know, it was funny. So Andy Johnson from the Friday was on the show a few weeks ago by now, by the time this releases. And he said something very similar, where one of the best things about the digital age, as well as social media specifically, is you could find that niche. You could find people yeah. who enjoy it as well, and they will go and they will consume, which sounds a little bit like what your your stance is. Us. Yeah, I, that's exactly what my, my position is. Like, for, for from our standpoint... We said the the Fairways of Life show started back in 2006. And what we started it as, because, again, I was still working in the greengrass side of the business. I had a job that I had to go to, Uh, just like you were talking about your nine to five before we got on the air. That was my nine to five. And so the reason why Fairways of Life is a morning show to this day was because I had to be at work. So I had to get the show done and then and then and uh, be at the office. So we started. Fairways of Life as a weekly interview show in 2006. And the reason why I started it back then, uh, I had already been a writer because in the wintertime, you know, managing golf courses in New England. And the last one I managed was called Newport National. But 
in the wintertime, I had nothing to, really to do. It was it, We were covered in a blanket of snow, and so I started to write. And that's how I started writing for Chicken Soup for the Soul and doing all the stuff that I did. And in 2006, I wrote a book called Fairways of Life. And basically, all I was trying to do was to do a sort of Chicken Soup for the Soul style book where you use examples, metaphors, if you please, of things that people have gone through. And what I did was I tied them into stories of the game of golf. And so it established, I guess, a credibility, if you will. It at least established uh, the semblance of a brand. Mm -hmm. And so I went to what was then just called XM, the satellite. It had, was a serious XM. That was right. just XM. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah. That's how I found you, by the way. Pardon me? That's how I found you on XM. Oh, was it through XM? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So I went to XM and I said, I'd like to do this weekly show. And, and they were like, dude, you can do whatever you want. We're not going to pay you for it anyway. But if you want to supply it to us. And I went to this little AM radio station in Newport, Rhode Island. It was classic. It was this old throwback station. And this 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 uh, brilliant old timer was was kind of my producer director. And we reached out to, which is the second part of why I did all this, we reached out to all these legends. And my thought was then, and it hasn't really changed much now, Adam, was that these legends are getting older and they're passing on. And I wanted to get to them to hear their stories. They're, they're part of the history of the game. And that's how it started. So I forget what year it was. I think it was the end of 9, 10 a serious fought XM and they brought me into New York and said, uh, do you, would you host our, our morning Monday through Friday morning show? When I actually, they asked me, would you host a show? And I said, I can only do a morning show because I have to be at work. And they were like, okay. And I'll never forget how this, how this conversation went. It was like I was negotiating with Scrooge and Marley because <laughs> they looked at me and they said, what would you like to get paid for this? And going back to everything else I was telling you about what I've learned about the, the mass media world, I, I looked at Scrooge and Marley and said nothing. And they looked at each other like, <laughs> so what, what do you propose? And I said, I would like half the commercial inventory. Hmm. You do whatever you want with your half. Give me the other half. And again, they kind of chuckled to themselves like, what a fool. And that's how it started. That, so wow. I, did, I did the show two or three years starting off every day. And I didn't make a red cent, nothing from what I was doing. And then slowly it started to build and, and the exposure and, and, you know, obviously Sirius XM was bigger than just XM alone. Right. And so all these combination of things kicked off and that's when it kicked off. And so by the time that we got to four or five years later, the media side of what I was doing completely took over everything else. And, you know, the big media companies started to call and BC and golf channel uh, called and they knew that I had started. You talked about your and my Chicago connection. That was because I, I used to work for Northwestern golf up there in mm -hmm. Elmhurst. And right. that was when the first half of my career on the equipment side of the business. So uh, they knew that I had that background and I, I could speak to equipment technology and they wanted me to. And I was happy to do it. I love I love equipment technology. I think it's fascinating. 
And so that's how it happened. That's that's kind of the long story of, of how the, the you know long and winding road ended up where it is. It's it's fascinating. And I just love the the parallels that you draw in telling it because uh, the parallels with not only what you want to do as a passion, but also to do things as a business. And, you know, you broke out from the nine to five, you do this and you're super successful at it. And it's interesting, too, because, as you know, we have a lot of talk on here about uh, equipment as well. You know, we love the equipment side of the game also. And it's funny because you talked about a lot of changes, not only with media, but for yourself personally and professionally. And then it all kind of centers around this game that itself continues to change. And I know that you've had and certainly the big topic these days is, you know, distance, equipment, all of that. And it almost seems like we're on the precipice of another change. Is that pretty much just the way it goes? Uh, yeah, I mean that that change, in my opinion, is coming, um, whether we're for better or for worse. Hmm. My, my, we're talking about a rollback in, in in distance, and my perspective on that particular issue is that I don't have a problem with what they're doing on the professional side of the game. That the RNA and the USGA are looking at it. They've told us that they're looking. They're trying to look out fifty years. 100 years from now and saying, given its current pace and direction, Mm. do we need to do something with equipment technology insofar as it impacts distance from the best in the world? And I agree with them that it is definitely something that they need to look at. I do think as a matter of fairness and equity, it should be mentioned that we wouldn't be in the position that we're in right now if they hadn't let the horse out of the barn to begin with. But nonetheless, uh, for them to circle back around and say, okay, Given its pace right now, how possibly can it sustain another 50 to 100 years? Sure. The issue that I have with the conversation is that you have ardent people that want to roll back technology. And again, I get it. I understand why they're saying it. They're saying that the game is uncomparable to any prior era. You'll have other people that say the game always changes through error. So that's why I think that the, the approach that would be most balanced would be approach that says, put a governor on it, slow down the pace of technical innovation. It's obviously never going to end because you have brilliant people working on it, but there are things that they can do, whether we're talking about CT time, whether we're talking about coefficient restitution, whether we're talking about MOI, whether we're talking about length of shafts, whether we're talking about flex dispersion. Uh, there's a lot of different areas that we can go into specifically. They're saying that there's things that you can do that will impact overall performance. Where my concern lies, Adams, that somewhere lost in this conversation is the idea that the rules of golf are so sacrosanct that one set of rules should govern all people. I am concerned about the impact on this uh, for the average golfer. The, and, and when I say that, you're, it, again, it's a 99.99% percentage. Sure. That is the percentage of people that actually pay for the game of golf. Those are the people that allow us you and me and everyone else, the PGA Tour, the European Tour, all the equipment companies, golf's governing bodies themselves. We would not exist without that 99.99%. They right. bankroll the entire industry. They are the people that we're all trying to reach. So my concern is that golf's governing bodies said, okay, we're entering a phase right now where we're soliciting the opinions of golf stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, 
the only stakeholder that matters are the people that pay to play the game. They're the only ones that matter. All the rest of us are financed by them. Mm -hmm. And the concern that I have therein is if you read through the, the report, and I'm sure you did, mm -hmm. the average driving distance of the average male amateur is 215 yards. Right. And we're told, well, distance is increasing across the board. Wait a minute. The average driving distance of 215 yards has been essentially the exact same for 20 years. So why are we insisting on impacting that segment of the audience, the largest segment and the only one that truly ever ultimately matters with the same restrictions that we would impart on the best in the world when the best in the world will figure it out. Don't, I, do right. what you want with the best yeah. in the world. I get it. But for everybody else, it's only hitting at 215 yards. We're going to go to them and say, yeah, the reason we're doing this is so that new courses don't have to be built longer. What? The reason we're doing this is so that it doesn't cost as much to manage the game. I'm Remember, I'm a course operator. Sure. How are my costs reducing by you having someone hitting the ball a shorter distance? Now I have to either move them up a tee at least, probably build a new tee, which means you're costing me an expense to change, modify these golf courses. There's over 16,000 courses in the United States. The courses that are impacted by what the best of the best do, more and more of them are TPC courses. No sure. matter how you slice it, when you come to a PGA Tour event, you're talking about less than 50 events a year. And now you're talking about 16,000 other courses. So there's an imbalance here. And, and I don't feel as though the imbalance is based upon simply the virtue of saying the game needs to be shorter because the game doesn't need to be shorter on a segment of the audience, which is 99.99% that are already struggling distance challenged. So there's, there's a disconnect there that I don't get that I don't think is healthy. The game is at an absolute boom right now. It's, it's right now, year over year, we had more growth in the game than we have ever ever had historically i get the impact is COVID and all the rest but if you want to keep these people in the game the way to do it is not to tell them we just made the game harder it's a sure. game that's really hard for the vast majority so my my hope would be that somehow golf's governing bodies hear that message and they say okay we get it uh, you know they were talking about a local rule i understand that and that's what everyone brings up when i bring this up but if you listen to all the interviews when they made this announcement, every one of them said, well, everyone's going to be impacted a little bit. What does a little bit mean? Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about golf's stakeholders to hear from, who's hearing from the people that matter? So anyway, I, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent. You, you no, that's that. That's Strange. good, though, because, you know, I think it's interesting because there's definitely two sides and, and listeners to my show know where I pretty much stand on the distance thing. And, you know, I agree. And I'd like your take on it as well, that the pros need to be kept separate in a way from the ninety nine point nine nine percent. I totally agree with that. You know, it's interesting you bring up the um, the the course management side of it, too, because one counter argument has been. Uh, by various people, one that I may subscribe to actually is when courses do have to create new tees, when they do have to lengthen, the cost of that does have to go somewhere. And I could just think of, you know, around my area where I live, at least five courses have implemented new tees. And I'm not talking TPCs by any means. I mean, you, you know the area well. I, I'm talking about courses near me. So there is that. But the point does hold true that the average 
distance for the 99.99 has not gone up as considerably as pros. So I guess all of that to kind of ask you the question, your stance on bifurcation, and do you see that that may be being where the governing bodies need to go or not? Yeah, it's exactly where I think they need to go. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't you can do it without using a word that they obviously see as blasphemy. You, you, you can do it with a local rule that actually says, just like they did with the grooves where they were grandfathered in and said you can use them until 24. The, the courses that are building the, the new tees, et cetera, are courses that are short. And hmm. they're short because of the historical development. They could be a Donald Ross course. It could be any one of the classics. And those courses historically have always been lengthened. If, if you look at the original uh, design schematics from the architect on these classic old golf courses and look where the tees were originally from when they were built in, say, the early 1900s, the 1920s and 1930s, even the 1940s and the 1950s. Those courses continue to have to be modified. What happened was because a lot of those courses were originally built as country clubs, they're now city clubs. So what happens is they tend to get landlocked and there's only so far that they can go. And that's when people moan and say, well, what are we going to do? We can't go any farther. But the other side of it is if you did a true analysis of those golf courses and who they're building those longer tees for, it's not for the majority of the load of the people that play our courses. The average handicap in the United States is about a men is about a 15. So for that 15 handicap, the vast majority of you of, of those are going to slice it on virtually every hole that they play are mm. fine with whatever distance you're going to play. So say, say the hole is 350 yards because there really isn't anything more that one of these classic old golf courses can do. That's what it is. The reason why those longer tee boxes are being built are for the single digit handicaps who predominantly are the same people that sit on greens committees and golf committees and compete for the club championships who can hit the golf ball and can pump it out there. And they're coming in with nine irons and wedges when the vast majority of the membership is coming in with five irons, hybrids and and metal woods. So, again, it's it's a balance in terms of. Do you make decisions that affect the majority because of how it impacts a minority or it, at, right. in some cases, an elite few? So all of this messaging is getting kind of lost in the agenda. I just felt like when the announcement was made, it wasn't necessarily to inform. It was to influence. It was to get people on board with a particular direction. And my concern is, is what will that direction mean? to the average golfer and is that voice being heard and is that individual being protected? Because in my view, they are the most important person we have in the game. Both topics we've just covered, the changes in the digital age and the way that golf is consumed and the distance and the maybe change that we both agree is probably coming eventually in some way, they both kind of relate insofar as how we choose to enjoy the game. And, you know, I think on both sides of that coin, you know, a lot of times, at least in the distance debate, people will often refer to Augusta, you know, they're lengthening Augusta. Oh my God, I can't watch the masters and compare it to what Jack did in 86 or anything. Well, the game has changed. And last year with the boom in golf, where so many, even my friends, and I'm sure yours as well, new players to the game, they're just learning how to enjoy this thing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that when we get caught in this whirlwind we're, we're probably exceptions because we talk about this stuff all the time but do you think when we get caught up in this we lose sight of 
why we enjoy this in the first place? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. And that, that's where we get to the, the, the engineering that takes place is absolutely brilliant right now. The design of equipment is brilliant. Uh, I do think that it brings more joy and enjoyment to the game. Uh, even if it didn't, to be honest with you, there is nothing like a golfer unboxing that new set of clubs. It's, it's a moment when all of us are six and eight years old on Christmas morning again. And so, and I'm not saying that that necessarily would go away uh, with, with revisions in, in technology, et cetera. And just to be clear, I don't have a problem with them cutting down on technology at the highest right. tier of the game. So, my my concern is that for these new people who are coming in and this this re- renewed and revived excitement and enthusiasm that we have for the game, that at the same time, they get a very complex message that, you know what, having said all that, the game was getting too easy and we're going to make it harder. Or the game is getting too long, however you want to define it, we're going to make it slightly harder. None of those new people that are coming in that hopefully are finding joy in the game are going to step up to you and say, you know what? You're right. I did think it was a pretty easy game. No one says <laughs> true, that. True. So yeah. uh, th- that's that's where my concern is. I, I get the big picture, and and I love that golf's governing bodies are trying to do something about an issue that they never should have let happen to begin with, but they did. And now they're trying to circle back around and say, okay, we need to take a look at this. At the same time, I think equity has to be employed to ensure it's not hurting the people who actually need it. So once again, listeners, we're talking to Matt Adams, uh, Fairways of Life Golf Channel. And Matt, one last question for you. Uh, and thanks again for hopping on. And I hope we do it again soon. Um, because so many new golfers started last year, often we think, if I had to tell my younger self one piece of advice about how to enjoy this game, what would I tell them? We almost kind of have that opportunity now because so many new people are starting. What would you tell a new golfer? Uh, I mean, I think the big thing is uh, in my career, I really didn't get a chance to play very much. My job was to get everybody else on the golf course and ensure that they had the time of their lives. That was just what my job was. And I loved it. I I, I don't have any regrets in terms of having done that. But I think the biggest thing that that I, I get a kick out of it amuses me is that when I'm on a golf course and someone is, I'm not sure how to phrase this politically correctly, but they're not very good. And they get so mad that they're throwing clubs and and all the rest and turning the sky blue. And I guess my advice would be not to take it so seriously because, one, you're honestly, and again, I'm not trying to be harsh with this, but you're not good enough to be that upset about what you just didn't do. Uh, But on top of that, you're, you're out here for that one time when you do connect, when, when it goes from, from ball to club to shaft to hands to arms to heart. And, and when that happens, that's the shot that keeps you coming back. No one is leaving the golf course that day and going, geez, I couldn't believe how Jim played today. I expected him to be under par, uh, and he shot a 92. <laughs> what people remember is what joy did you find the experience that you had and, and the company that you had and being outside and being in the sunshine, all the virtues that have carried the game to its current extraordinary and record heights. So those, those are the things that, that I hope people embrace. Once again, folks, that's Matt Adams, friends on YouTube. You know him. Be sure to listen to Fairways of Life. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely a delight. Thank you.